Wow, I feel I sound really loud and like to myself right now. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I'll just enjoy that for a moment. Okay, I'm over it. Um, my name's Jamie, one of the, the past, one of the elders here. I'm glad to see you guys this morning and welcome to Summit. Um, we are getting back in our, our Genesis series today. Uh, we've taken kind of a side for the last three weeks and done some vision. We talked about service. We've talked about uh, mission. If you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, can get here. We have there are some tables that are in the back on either side. One side is focused on service, how we serve the body here. If you want to know how to get more involved, uh, on the right side uh, as you go out is the missions table. There are ideas for mission and how we get it plugged in locally. Um, next week, we're going to look at global missions um, as we kind of follow up on, on Genesis 12 as Abraham is a blessing to all nations. So just so you'll know that, and we have the, the texting app or, or the texting uh, service that we're, uh, we kind of started this year and transitioning, see how that goes as we read the Bible together. Um, we'll try to mention a few things there, um, and it just seems like a lot, of, a lot of people have jumped on that. So we're excited about those things, and glad you guys are here today. Um, what I do want to remind you, as we jump back into Genesis 12, if you want to go on and, and turn there right now, is that the gospel, as we talk about that every week and remind ourselves, the gospel isn't the just the ABCs of the Christian faith, right? It is the A to Z. It is, it is everything that our lives are about. It is what fuels us. It's what drives us in obedience for the love of the Father, for Jesus. The gospel informs and underlies all of that. And so that's why we talk about that today. Uh, we talk about, hey, we're reading the word together and we're, we're learning to serve one another well and we're reaching out on, on local missions and going forth to make a difference to advance the kingdom of God. So as we do that, as we turn to Genesis, let's review Genesis like 1 through 11 real quickly. Um, I, I know we had sent out a kind of a text for a a seven-minute review, so I'm going to do one a little bit shorter than, than that because it got into all kinds of stuff, right? Um, so if, if you haven't been here, Genesis 1 is a good place to start, right? God created everything, the heavens and the earth. Everything that you see, everything that you don't see, God created all of that. And so he created the whole universe. First chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, we see that he created out of nothing something, right? Out of, lo- out of dark comes light. Out of chaos comes order. That God makes ways where there is no way. And so that's kind of the, the power and the character of God what we see. He, he forms simply by speaking. Adam and Eve show us what life should have been like at the beginning. This is what life should be like, right? They walked with God in the cool of the day, Genesis tells us. Just think about that. That's awesome. A relationship with our Creator where we walk with him in the cool of the day, like that's normal. And the rest of the Bible speaks to that. It's about being that, having that restored. That's why Jesus comes. That's what the gospel is about. It, that is the picture of where we're going, except it's going to be on a bigger scale. But something happened, right? That's because we, we don't walk with God like in the cool of the day, just naturally. We don't just get born and then we, we step into that. Something's wrong with this world, and it doesn't take a present election to bring it out, right? It's there. It's just lurking under the surface, waiting to be revealed. It's called sin. And when Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God, that the one thing that they weren't supposed to do was to eat of the tree, they were like, I got this. No, you may be holding out on me, or there's something better. This is not the best way. I know the best way to live. Ate the fruit. Sin entered in And as we know it, everything is broken, it's bent, distorted. 
It's a shadow of what it should be. It's evil. came into the world. They disregarded what God said, and they lived how they wanted to live. They didn't trust that God's way was the best way. And so there's, you know, there's sin wreaked havoc on us because of it. It entered the world and changed everything, especially their relationship with God, their relationship with the world, their relationship with each other, and their relationship internally from themselves. And so what we're, we're, we're embarking on with Genesis is to see how Genesis speaks to that, how the rest of the Bible is how God has a plan to restore this relationship, to, to reconcile not just our relationship, but all of creation back to him. That was the first chapter, two, three, right? And then we see the flood. After the fall, we have the flood. Humanity kind of spreads out, and it's, but it's filled with wickedness. And people still continue to live against God. They choose their own way. And God is like, okay, the flood. And then Noah. And he, Noah gets the same command as Adam and Eve, right? Is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth again. All right, let's try this again. Round two. How good are we going to do this time? How, how good did we do? Not, not, not too great, right? Same result. <laughs> same result, and it spreads. And then we see the Tower of Babel. All right. And God says, hey, be fruitful. And since you're made in my image, multiply, fill the earth. Therefore, my image, my glory will fill the earth through multiplication. And what we see is, hey, Tower of Babel, I got a great idea. Somebody says, let's do the exact opposite of what God says. Let's come together and make a name for ourselves. That's what we do. (laughs) I, I do, too. We do it in our own ways. We want to make our name for ourselves. We want to be known. And so instead of making a name for God, we make names for ourselves. Man given every chance to get it right does not, which is the pattern of the Old Testament over and over and over and over again. We see that. So there's got to be another way. You can't leave it up to man to restore his reconcile his relationship to God, which is what every other religion relies on. You've got to be this way. You've got to keep these rules. You've got to step up. You've got to work your way. That's not Christianity. And so what is God going to do? Now, remember, this is not plan B, right? You realize that this is not plan B. This is plan A from the beginning. We get to see who we are in the Old Testament. We don't have to keep living like that over and over and over again because that's what we will do left to ourselves. Now, this is plan A, and we get to watch it unfold. Enter Abraham. The plan is for faith, this not for works. The plan is for receiving, right, not for earning. And, and this is where we get to see the first step of the rest of the Bible unfold in faith. And so today we've got three points. Uh, uh, the first one is follow. What does it look like to follow God? Number two, faith. What does the faith kind of look like when it's worked out? And number three, fear of man. You see fear of man kind of come into play. So follow faith and the fear of man. Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in verses 1 through 3 today because next week we're really going to unpack that and what that looks like and very, very functionally in a practical way. Uh, and we're going to actually cover all of chapter 12 today, like the whole thing, okay? So just kind of buckle down. I'm going to kind of tell the story and go and then and kind of come back a little bit. So following God, the gospel call. All right, Abraham, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, if you back up in the end of chapter 11, you kind of see that, that Abram is the son of Terah who kind of comes out of the line of Seth. So we, we kind of follow him through. So it's not just all of a sudden Abram, Abram, not Abraham yet, <laughs> Abram shows up. And we see him there. And the Lord spoke to him. He's over in Ur. 
making his way. His dad is just, you know, taking him to Haran, which is, you know, they're, they're moving. And God says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will, haven't yet, will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great. Why would he make his name? So that you will be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and who, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, there we are again. All the families of the earth, we're including the whole world again. So we're back to Genesis. The plan's not shifted. The methodology has changed because it's just not in us to do it. So how is God going to do that? He starts with Abraham. Abram. This call isn't easy. You see it requires great sacrifice, right? He says, go. (laughs) But I know everything here. This is where I live, my family. I know the street names. I know where the grocery store is. You know, we've got good Wi-Fi. You know, go. Okay. All right. Where are we going? I'll tell you while you're moving. Right? That's kind of the the picture that, that we get here. Leave everything. And the rest of the promises I'll make of you a great nation, which is the rest of the Old Testament unfolding. Does Abram see that in his lifetime? No. You know what? The only thing that Abram owns by the end of his lifetime, as far as land in the promised land, is the burial plot for his wife. That's all he owns. And one child. He has one child. Great nation. Doesn't always look like we think it is. Should look like this. Not always. And so we learn a ton from Abram. Just go. It's kind of the opposite of the Tower of Babel, right? God's going to make his name great rather than them making their own name great. God's like, you know what? I'm going to make your name great. And through that, my name's going to be made great. That's how, that's how this is going to work. Right. And so he's like, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And that's where we use that language of um, God. We are and like Abraham. The, the reason God blesses us is not so that we just hold on to it like a cul-de-sac. You know what a cul-de-sac is? I think that's a French word. Not sure. Anyway, it's like a dead end. It's really good for basketball goals and bike riding and skateboards. It is not good to share blessings with, right, if, if you're thinking figuratively, right? So God has not called us to be cul-de-sacs. He's called us to be conduits where the blessing flows down, in, through us, and out to others. That's how the, the mission goes forth. We are blessed with the gospel message so that we take it out. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't wait for us to clean up. He didn't wait for us to turn over a new leaf. He came in, down into our brokenness, crawled into that with us, and said, I'm here and I'm going to die. I'm going to take the penalty for you. Just trust me. That's the picture of the gospel that we extend. So Abram, he's not trying to play it safe. He's not holding on to comfort. But he's still a man. Sometimes faith requires us. To step into the unknown and simply trust God. You know, Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? The conviction or the evidence of things unseen. This is what faith is is looking like for Abram. He's leaving everything to follow God. I I don't know if you read Luke 14 in our our texting services and what we're all reading together. Like Luke 14 says, if any any, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has is not worthy to become my disciple. Those strong words. We live with an open hand. You give it, you take it. Lord, it's all from you anyway. It's yours. Abram's like, okay, I'm gone. Let's go. Now, is that freedom? 
Yeah. I thought, <laughs> okay, we'll just leave it. I can go. I'm not, I'm not tied down here. See, when Jesus gets in the center of your life and not something that you just add to it, it's not like a hobby or a part-time job or a social event. Our lives revolve around him. We orient our lives around Christ. It, he becomes the why and how we make our other decisions in life. He becomes the lens in which we see the rest of life through. He's not just a piece of the time of, of the pie that we have, and here's where we do gospel things, and then here's where I do everything else. But it's at the center, and we're intentional with how we live, and the gospel is all part of that. It doesn't mean you're perfect, which we get to see today in Abram. What does it mean? It means we're real. We have a heart for God. We're truly being changed by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, we're following the call that he's put on our lives that is able to renounce everything because of the greater surpassing joy that we hold on to. Now, does your Christian life reflect that? Do you believe that? Do you understand that Jesus is joy? And, and, and to be able to say, like the disciples who live their lives almost, except for one, unto death, they can erupt out into joy. Do you know Jesus like that? It's a great question. Number two, faith. Uh, we see this is the, the call that we're, we're following in faith. We see faith in action from Abraham. Because well, what does real faith look like? Well, Abraham was like, okay, I believe. Was it good enough for him to believe that and stay where he was? He didn't stay where he was. He, he acted on that, right? He, he moved forward. He doesn't just believe God and say, keep it in his mind, but he believes. And to believe, and honestly, through the Old Testament, the Hebrew culture, to believe, to hear, is to obey. When you hear that and you believe that, that means that, that you obey. And so Abraham went. Sounds pretty simple. I mean, you know, right? Go. Okay. Verse 4. Okay. And he went. That, that's kind of the way the Bible reads. God says, go. Abraham says, you know, it says, so he went. So we talk about, yeah, that's what I believe. That's my stated belief. But here's my actual belief. So how we live, our, our actual belief, how we live is determined by our actual beliefs. If you see what our obedience looks like, that's what we really believe. But our stated beliefs over here is that this is either what I want to believe or I want this to be true in my heart or I believe it in my head and it hasn't made the difference. It hasn't made the, 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 the long foot from here to here. I know the doctrine of sonship and daughtership. I don't know how to be a son. I don't know how to engage in prayer with you, Father, like a son. Those are different worlds. You can know the doctrine of sonship and daughtership all day long, but it doesn't affect how you behave. And so seeing the difference between an actual belief and a stated belief, here we see Abraham, he goes. So a question to ask with that, how is your life different from the way you would live it now if you weren't a Christian? Would you still watch what you watch if you weren't? Would you still have the job that you have? Would you still live where you live? Would you drive what you drive? And the everyday life stuff, right? What's different because you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Would you, and this is a question I ask myself a lot, would you notice if the Holy Spirit left you? Would it change the way you think? Would it change the way you live your life? Would you be desperate and say, I notice you've gone? Or would everything just kind of keep on the same? God is the reason 
that Abram does everything that he's doing. And that way, we want to be like Abram. So the story moves on. This is where I want to kind of tell you part of the story, right? Abram goes on to Canaan, and, and God appears to him and says, To your offspring, I will give this land. Now, you're here now. <laughs> this is where it is. This is it. Look around. And, in fact, in the next few verses, he's like, Take a tour. You know, walk to the hill country. Walk to the Negev. Walk all around and see and walk the perimeter. Look, see what it looks like. And so he moves, and, and Abram builds an altar, verse 7. That's what it looks like. All right, we've got to build an altar. All right? And then he walks further to the hill country, and he calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and he builds another altar. We've got two altars. Boom. Altarfication. I don't know. I'm making up words now. Right? We've got that happening. These altars are a response to God's graciousness and his provision, right? They double as reminders of God's graciousness and his provision. And I, I don't know about you. Are you prone to wonder? You know that old hymn, third verse, the one that describes me to a T. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Our hearts do not drift toward holiness. They drift away. And so we constantly need reminders. That's how we work because of sin and and how our hearts feel. And so we see this principle is kind of set up that, Build an altar here, and he called on the name of the Lord. And then he went over here, and he, he called on the name of the Lord, and he built an altar. Joshua 4, when they're going into the, new, the, new, you know, the promised land, when they're going across the Jordan, they build 12 stones, and they build an altar. I've started that with our family, like literally, right? I don't like have an altar that I, I bow down at and that kind of thing in the backyard, but we have a vase that's about this big and about that big sitting on our table, and it's got a rock from trips that we take together now. And I wrote on it, you know, I just got back from India. There was one where we went to the beach together, and we wrote Beach 16, whatever. And you put it in there. What I'm hoping is not only when it's 10 years down the road and that thing's full of family memories, but along the way we'll be reminded of God's faithfulness because it's not a great day today. And this is going to be filled up because he's been faithful in the past and because he doesn't change. He's going to be faithful to fill this altar with more rocks. And God is faithful. Look at that and be reminded. That's how faith works. It's not static. It's dynamic. It moves. It breathes. It has good days and bad days. But you're not judged on the quality of your faith, but the object of your faith. And so that's, that's what we get to see. And we're going to bring that back at the end because Abram does that very thing. He's so much like we are. And maybe you also have digital rocks that I put, digital altars. Or note card altars of prayer. I have to do that because I'm so quick to forget. I will pray, ask for something, and if I don't write it down and date it, I don't believe or I'll assume it would have happened anyway. The cynic in me will come out. I don't believe in prayer, and the next thing you know, I'll stop praying. But if you write it down on a little card and you say, God, do this and whatever, and, and then, you know, this is in my heart, and you just continually pray and you have it before you, and you get to see when he starts answering those things, It is a battleground against cynicism and prayer. Build an altar for prayer of prayer cards. Use Trello. Use something. That's what I use. God's faithful. That's all we've got to hope for because guess what? We're not. We can be because he helps us. He strengthens us to be faithful. But at some point, we're going to Abram it. What does that mean? Next point. 
Uh, I had a dual title for this point. It was like foolishness or fear of man. Um, foolishness for me, when I look at it and go, I don't, you know, God appeared to you, said go, you went, and then you got there and freaked out, right? Foolishness. Now, from Abram's standpoint, fear of man. Here's what happened, all right? So God appears to Abram and he says, hey, go. And so he has this huge religious high, right? Faith is just, an, oh, I've given up everything, you know? I'm the best. He's not even, you know, he's like the first Jew, so he's not even Christian. I'm the best follower ever, right? And so he just follows him. He's, oh, he's at the top of his game. He's on a, a mountain high. That's where Abram is. He desires to follow God. He really does. And then he builds an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Lord, is this where it is? Oh, don't go out here further. He builds an altar. He calls on the name of the Lord. Lord, is this, this, is, this is amazing. My family, we're just following around. You're providing for us. And then what, what do we read? We read, uh, and then there was a famine. What? What? I thought you called me out here. I'm not supposed to have any famines. That's not part of the plan. I was just supposed to go, and then there was going to be this great nation thing, and then your name was going to be lifted up, and I got to be a conduit for the blessing, and then we were just, it was good. Verse 10 says, now there was a famine. That must not be God's will. He must have done something wrong. He must have uh, not played. He didn't go the right way. That's probably what it was. There was a famine. The real world hits. Both of those are the real world. But for the first time, we see a family take flight to Egypt. You see how the Bible, I told you, it happens in patterns, right? You see it over and over and over. You have the pattern of people not being able to win their salvation and earn their salvation. Here you see a pattern of whenever there's a famine, you go down to Egypt. You're going to see that in the children of Israel. You're going to see that in Jesus. The Bible is consistent. 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents. One story, one main hero. And so he goes down into Egypt. And what, what, do, we, what do you see here? I mean, God, Abraham, he, Abraham desires to follow God. He's left his, his home and his family, familiarity. But now things are getting hard. And his heart seems to be in the right place. And the very call of God on his life seems to be threatened. God, I thought you called me to this. Why would you call me to something hard like this? This doesn't even make any sense. How are we going to be a nation? And we go from seeing verse 7, and he, calls him the, and he builds an altar. And, and verse 8, where he calls on the name of the Lord, and he builds an altar. In verse 10, we see, now there's a famine. And what do we see right after that? In the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt. We don't see. He calls on the name of the Lord. We don't see. He built an altar. You've got to wonder about the dynamics. What's going on inside of Abram? And although he was a good man, real life does happen. And so his religious high from following God and giving up everything is called into question. And suddenly there's a famine around and his family is at stake, right? Do you see a lot of yourself in Abram? Just like when you finally decided... We're going to move. We're going to go on mission. We're going to start serving at the church. We're going to do this. I'm going to start reading the Bible every day. Ah, I'm so excited about that. Great. And then right when you start, the enemy's like, 
This is easy. Roadblock. Why did I start that anyway? I knew I couldn't do that. I knew that this wouldn't work. Ah, it's January, second week of January. Here I am again. Not even reading the word at all. Beat you up. Boom. Failure, failure, failure. You'll never be enough. You're just like Abram. See, we're not trusting Abram. This is, this is, this is how it happens. This is what's, why the Bible is, the gospel is like good news, right? And so you finally decide to follow. This is how the enemy works when you see there was a famine. Is God out of control of that? No, no, not at all, right? What does Abram do, though? He decides a plan and a strategy for, for himself, and, and he gets his wife to go along with it, and he figures the Egyptians, here, here's this plan. He knows, hey, look, when we go to Egypt, I mean, you're, you're some hot stuff, right? This is what he's talking about his wife. And so when they see you, they're going to be like, we like her. You know, we will take her. I'm like, this is an interesting culture, right? <laughs> right? It's just different. It's a little removed, a little from us. But he's, he knows that this is a possibility. And so he's like, well, the Egyptians are going to take you. Um, either I'm going to get killed if they think that you're my wife, or if I tell them, and it's a half-truth, you know, you're my sister, so I'm actually telling the truth, right? Tell them you're my sister, then I'll get to live. And then you'll still be okay. And we'll be able to fulfill this plan of God's. So it's not like he's totally in rebellion against God and I'm done with. It's like, let me solve it this way. Here's, here's how the plan of God works. I got to stay alive because I got to have a kid. You got to stay. Here's how we stay alive. I didn't call on the name of the Lord. I didn't build an altar. That wasn't even in my mind. Still not in my mind. Let's just go to Egypt. He solves this problem. It's what happens. Well, he goes down. Pharaoh does take Sarah. Abram gets treated well because of her. He gets a lot of animals, servants. He basically becomes richer. The Lord puts a plague on Pharaoh. If you remember that part of the verse where he says, whoever dishonors you, I will curse. I don't know if that's part of that, but it fits in pretty good. And things go really bad, and Pharaoh says uh, in verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you lie? Why did you say she's your sister? So that I took her for my wife. Take her and go. And he did. So put yourself in Abram's position. You know that God's called you to live a certain way. But then you have a famine hit. So he ended up lying, and he didn't trust God. He endangered his wife as well. How is this life following God going to look? He steps in. And so what is guiding Abram? Fear of man. And so we don't cast condemnation on Abram because we do this a lot. I do this a lot. I'm more afraid of either messing up God's plan or being a disappointment to God. Probably the one I, I struggle with the most. Let's just be transparent. I'm not going to be all he was hoping for me to be during this lifetime. It's not that he won't let me in, but it's not going to be a great experience for me, for him. And so I will struggle with that. I have to put that down at the cross and build an altar and call out on the name of the Lord for that. What is it for you? When you fear man more than God, we aren't following in faith. We're following us. We're reliving the garden. He's a good father. 
And Abram's no different than, than we are. And so we see this real-life tension, right? You see, wanting to follow God, because Abram did, but you also see afraid of man and not trusting God will provide. What comes into your mind when you think in your life, what part of fear of man has held on to my heart, has its talons in my heart? It may involve your reputation at work. Right? You can be slandered. You can be misunderstood. Uh, my first inclination is to go to everybody that might have that thought and fix it. Let me go tell you, this is not true. I got misspoken of about here. Let me correct your misunderstanding. I'm not really that way. Or if I am, let me apologize in such a way that you will think better of me. That's, I want to go fix everything. Guess what? You can't always do that. You can't control what other people will say to other people. And so when you can't control it, you spin out of control. So I go to try to fix it, and if I can't fix it, I'll worry about it. That's the answer. Anxiety fixes a lot of stuff. It doesn't. What if you let somebody down and you disappoint them, right? I hate that. I want everybody to be okay with Jamie. Who's, you're, you're, you're frowning inside. I can see. I've done something to let you down. Boy, that'll just kind of take over you. Fear of man. These are just some small examples. When you're not quite what other people had hoped you would be, or they're not quite who you had hoped that they would be, what's your first reaction? Do you pull an Abram? There it is. Do you take matters into your own hands, or do you build an altar and call out on the name of the Lord? Where's the gospel here? This story isn't to beat us up because we're just like Abram and stuck. It's actually the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, we're just like Abram, but we're not stuck. It is an encouragement that God does not depend on you for his purposes to be fulfilled. He doesn't depend on you, but you get to play a part in it, an actor on the stage, a role that you, you are given. Abram didn't thwart God's plan with his disobedience. That's not to say, good job on disobedience. For those that love him will seek after him with all their heart. We know that. That what you really believe, is show, it shows up. What you really believe, your actual belief, shows up in what you do, right? But it's not that you're judged on the fact that, hey, if you just keep up the outside appearance, everything's going to be okay. What is Abram doing here? Abram didn't thwart God's plan with his disobedience. God's grace covers the, our weaknesses, and it empowers our obedience, right? It, it's not based on us. That's what we see in the Old Testament over and over and over. And so simply turn, we go turn away from that disobedience. We repent. That's called repenting, and we turn to Jesus. His sovereignty ensures that all things work for good, right? They, it does. It ensures, his sovereignty ensures that whenever I blow it, I'm not sinking his ship. That's great news. That is such good news. And, and there's a lot of times I, I know it's true in my head, but I don't feel it in my heart. I'm like, beat that into my heart, Lord, because I feel like I've sunk the ship. I've let you down, but I am nothing but a big disappointment. And your word is saying otherwise, right? God is in control. God is on the throne. He will accomplish all his purposes. This is why we worship him and not ourselves, right? This is why our our eyes go up and not down in a posture of worship. And so God is in control. Therefore, he doesn't need you to keep his promises 
for his plan to work. And so here's the, here's the beauty of what I love about Abraham. You, like Abram, can drop the facade that you've got it all together. You can just drop it. Not only does God know it, he doesn't need you to have it all together. In fact, he gets glory when you know you don't have it all together, and he works his strength through our weakness. Therefore, he gets glory, and he's enjoying the fact that you're embracing your weakness rather than trying to hide it, cover it, and put a mask on top of it so that you look like you're doing everything just like you should be or that everybody else expects of you. Because I love the fact that at the end of this chapter, you don't see a lot of groveling from Abram. You don't see the Bible spend a lot of time on that. It kind of moves on. <laughs> like, all right, well, quit. Stop that. We have a plan to be a part of. Quit your groveling. Quit your whining about yourself that you didn't measure up. We have a mission to be on. Chapter 13. Right? That, that's kind of what I'm like, wow, that's really freeing <laughs> to, to see. Yeah, he blew it. Yeah. Drop the facade. Be who you are. Be a real version of yourself before the Lord. Stop praying the prayers that you think you ought to pray or that try to reveal who you think you ought to be. Be who you are. No, you're not going to stay there because he loves you too much to leave you there. But start there and then just be yourself and just throw it out there. There's true freedom in Christianity to do that. I'm comforted that God loves Abraham, not in spite of his faults, but with them. That one never leaves me. Because if there's one thing I qualify for, it's broken. And he uses Abraham. He's got to be Abraham. He uses broken, distorted folks that own up to it. He calls trophies of grace. Is that not beautiful? Is that not hopeful? Does that not restore and bring healing and, and speak a balm on a wound? That's the gospel that we're a part of. And so we can walk in faith in Jesus, in our brokenness, in relationship now with God. We're restored. Jesus restored that, that broken relationship to where we can walk with him in the cool of the day now while he's still changing us. You don't wait till you get there and he's like, okay, you're changed enough. Welcome into the throne room. It's like, you know what? His blood is that precious and you are that covered. And so from the moment you're mine, you're mine. You're not, it's not a percentage. It's not a right of purification. It's not if your, your repentance is 100% pure because it never is. If you trust in your repentance, then you're trusting in your works. It just falls apart. He uses us while we're still broken, and he's restoring us. And we long for that day where we see the fullness of that and the completion of that. At the same time, we get to be in on what he's doing in the restoration act of all of creation. From your children to global missions. From your friends at school I mean, it, all of that is our lives that echo a chorus of he is worthy, right? He is worthy. Not I'm not so bad or I'm a little better than I was. It's he's worthy to open and take the scroll and to open it. 
He who was and is and is to come. He is the one that we bow down to the knee of. It's nothing to do with us and we get to receive. And so it's not about the quality of our faith or how good we're doing. It's about the object of our faith and who he is and what he's doing in us. And we get to see that. Pastors are going to fall. Another friend recently. Congregations are going to fail. You read a lot about pastors falling. You don't read a lot about congregations that never are obedient. These things don't stop his purposes. And we need to glory and praise and worship in that. And at the same time, it should draw us to even because of his sovereignty. It doesn't make our work. I love that Patrick said this. It doesn't make our work unnecessary. It makes it possible. It makes it effective. It makes it real. That what you do, when you're reading the word, because God loves you and because Jesus died for you, this can be part of a mechanism of how the Holy Spirit's going to change us in a very real, in, on the mechanics of it. This is how it works. Christianity is not dull and boring. It's awesome and exciting. <laughs> We're just not dialed into it. We're over here on the religion part of it, trying to do everything in our own power, and that's why there's no power, because we got no power. God does. And so simply today, would you see that following in faith, God takes the fear of man and flips it on his head and says, why are you doing this? It's not that you're worthy to come. You're not. He has made you worthy. Come. Come. You've got the doctrine of sonship down, the doctrine of daughtership down in your head. You don't know how to approach me as a daughter or as a son. Let's start there. Let's start with that. So let's pray together. And three directives today. Um, the first one is simply uh, Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. You were blessed to be a blessing. Okay, how does that work out? Just pray and ask. <laughs> let's not make this complicated. All right? Ask that the Lord will give you an opportunity to bless somebody else out of the blessing he's given you. I don't know what that looks like. You're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But that's why we are here. Church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Right? We exist for people outside of this as much as we do for those that are inside it. So pray that. The second one, I'm going to come back to that one. And then finally, uh, number three, this is in our, our prayer time. Thank God for his power and his sovereignty that even though we disobey, like Abram. He's got a plan that's not thwarted by us, which allows us to drop our facade. It allows us to come to him as we are, and we are welcomed into the throne of grace. So you just be praying for that. But I want to start with a second one. If anybody is dealing with fear of man, you don't have to be specific, you can be. I'm just going to simply ask that, and this is kind of the ironic, the irony is I'm going to ask you to stand up and just say, and that by standing would say, I'm dealing with fear, man. And then people around, guys, if you would just gather around, just put a hand on the folks that are courageous enough to stand up and just pray for them. Let the body of Christ come around and be the body of Christ this morning. Let's not wait till after lunch. Let's not wait till next week. Well, I'll wait till I get to MC right now. Let's reach out to one another and pray for one another. 
So would you just, if you were dealing with that, if, if when we were talking about the, the fear of man, the Holy Spirit just kind of pulled at your heart, however you want to use the language, and you are struggling there, your brothers and sisters want to pray for you. So we'll give a couple minutes if you want to stand. And if you see somebody stand by you, just pray for them. Put your hand on them. Gather around. And then we'll finish for another couple minutes here. And then I'll leave us in the Lord's Supper. us with such a great salvation. We tend to minimize it by not recognizing the depth of sin that we're in or not even realizing it ourselves or trying to hide it or we put a facade up. Therefore, we minimize what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come in such a way that would break our hearts, that our hearts would ache for what your heart desires for us, which is your fullness lived out in us for your name and for the benefit of those that are around us. Might we see more? That the fear of man would be put to the background from the overflow of joy that you offer for us, that we would desire to live under your rule and your reign and not the terror and the darkness of sin, Satan, ourselves. You translate us into a new kingdom. Help us to live that out. That our actual beliefs would reflect our stated beliefs. Father, 